Let's get started. Are you ready? Okay, a couple of people are. The rest of you, there's coffee out there. Go get a carafe if you need. Just set it up in front of you if you need to, to down some coffee. Um, where we've been so far in our, our, our series on shadow mission, um, we, we began with a very simple premise, and that is that you have a mission. Your mission was given to you by God. We all have a mission, and while all of our mission in some degree is the same, God works in us in different ways to go about achieving that mission. You have a mission. Now, the point of shadow mission is not simply that we are trying to go out and start some kind of evangelism program. The goal is not just to get as many people out there knocking on doors, asking if people are going to heaven or hell. That is not the purpose of shadow mission. The purpose of our mission is that we are following with God and we are following in the ways he has gifted us, he has created us, and he has called us to be his witnesses in the world. And as we mentioned last week, there's a difference between being his advocate and being a witness. A witness is actually experienced something. They were there. An advocate believes, and we have many, I believe, in the church who are advocates of Jesus Christ. They know a lot about him. They talk a lot about what you should believe, and they may even themselves believe certain things about Jesus. But a witness has actually experienced something that whenever they speak of Jesus, they speak of a personal experience, not just what they've been taught or told. There's a difference between a witness and an advocate. You have a mission. And being his witnesses throughout the world is our mission. In addition to that mission, God may very well be leading you in some specific area of ministry or some specific way to reach out and touch people outside of what we traditionally think of in church ministry. That is your personal mission. That is what God has gifted you. For some, I see this in the way that you build relationships. You're just so relational, it's very easy for you to go out and get to know people who are different from you. And so you just naturally build relationships and talk and and you're able to share with them what's going on within your life, within your heart, and within your faith. In some way, hoping to impact them in their own. For some of you, it is very much about giving, and you are great givers, and you work, and you give of yourself over and over and over again. And so you are constantly on mission by helping other people in ways that they could not help themselves. There may be all kinds of other missions that you may be involved with. You may be on mission with some group or organization outside of our church or within our church, like our children's ministry or small group ministry or other things on stage and worship team or or wherever. You, You could be involved in all kinds of different missions. We don't all have to look and act exactly the same, but God should be moving us in some kind of similar direction in that we are changing the world around us. And what I hope you've seen, if this is your first time, and I know we've got some guests today, what I hope you've seen through the last few weeks is that the Holy Spirit is is not just required. I mean, the Holy Spirit is the only way that we're going to see any kind of change in the world around us. It's not something that I can just decide, you know what, I'm going to go change my community. Though I have certainly at different times in my life felt that. I'll get excited. I'll think, you know what, I'm just going to try harder. As a church, it's easy for us to do that. If we say we want to reach out to people that don't know Christ, it's very easy to say, we just need to try harder. We just need to have more programs. We just need to do what we do better. And the truth is, if we believe what Scripture tells us, there's only one person that can change a heart, and it's not me, and it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit is involved in every step along the way, everywhere from calling you to even be interested in the gospel, to being able to grasp it and understand it, to even being able to repent and respond to it. And what we found in our study of Numa is that there's only one unforgivable sin, and that is when we just consistently tell the Holy Spirit to buzz off. Because when we do that, then there's no way that we can experience change because it is only through the Holy Spirit that we can be changed. So all of these things are, are maybe something some of you grew up with and you, you heard within your, your specific religious tradition that this is the way that the world works. Some of you may not have. I came from a tradition that was not very open about the work of the Holy Spirit. We were very much about the work of our hands and what we were supposed to do. And what we found is that we got very tired quickly. And a lot of people got tired whenever you're just hammered on. You've got to act a certain way. You've got to do a certain thing. You've got to prove that you love Jesus. And the truth is, is that is not what Jesus has ever asked of us. Instead, he has simply invited us to know him. But when we know him, we will walk with him. And as we walk with him, people will be changed around us. You have a mission. Along the way, you're going to be tempted to accept an alternative shadow mission. And as we've said, it's usually not, you know, a 180-degree turn. But instead, it's just a little off. It's just a little off what God wants. And the little off is always in the direction of ourselves. I just want to focus on myself a little bit more. And over time, when we begin to see where that being a little off takes us, we're so far from where God wants us that we will begin to feel frustrated and lost And we will wonder if God's at work at all within our lives, and we will just want to give up. That's what shadow mission always does to us. We all have our shadow mission. I've encouraged you to do some hard work over the last few weeks. Begin thinking through what is your shadow mission. I shared one of mine is that I have a tendency to like for people to be happy with me. And so I will adjust at times my behavior or what I'm doing if I perceive that someone's unhappy. And the problem is, you do that enough, you know enough people, then you will get frustrated very quickly because you can't make everybody happy. Because what makes one person happy makes another person very unhappy. And so you have to find what is right and what is true and move in that direction. But it's very easy to follow into that. Now, as far as my activity goes, a really easy shadow mission for me, I love to, to buy stuff that I like. I don't just like to go buy stuff. I don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not a hoarder. But the stuff I like to buy, it's, it's nice stuff. Anybody else like, like to buy stuff? Yeah, it's nice stuff. If you go look in my closet, and you'll see that there are some things I should not have bought. But I like buying nice stuff. In my shadow mission, I will spend my time and my resources finding the coolest, best whatever I'm interested in at the moment. And the second activity that I will do is I will plop down in front of a TV, and I will not get back up. It's very easy for me to do that. Some of you must struggle with that too. Yeah. So it's very easy for me to fall into those types of behaviors. But if I do that, I miss out on living purposefully, making an impact in my family, making an impact in my church and in my community, and certainly in knowing Christ, because those activities are focused around my pleasure, which is often where a shadow mission takes us. Now, Whenever we say something like that, it's easy to think, well, then that must mean if I'm on mission, it won't be pleasurable. Well, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's painful. We 
Look through the New Testament. What we find is that the apostles experienced great pain when they were on mission. There was great sacrifice. Paul, when we look at Paul, we just think, Paul, man, he was like the megachurch pastor, except they didn't really have megachurches back then. That was kind of the temple in Jerusalem. What they had were just multi-site churches. That's what we would call it in today's language, multi-site. So he had planted, gosh, just tons of different churches, and he couldn't even visit them all. He would write them letters, and that's where we get much of our New Testament, letters of instruction or encouragement to the church that he had already been a part of, or like in the case of Romans, that he wanted to come and visit. And even Paul talks about the great struggles that he has of being shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and being hungry and not having enough to eat and being out in the cold and feeling like he's going to freeze to death. And this is Paul who gives us most of the New Testament. So certainly being on mission at times is not pleasurable. However, it is very easy if we live our lives seeking pleasure to find that the 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 search for pleasure is an endless pursuit. And that's really what I want to talk with you about today. And the way we're going to describe this today is that your shadow mission seeks to satisfy a deep dissatisfaction in your life. Now, I can stand up here and talk to you about what it looks like to have a deep dissatisfaction in your life. You already know how that feels. You know what that's like. It's like a never-ending thirst It's a never-ending hunger. It's this never-ending thought that there must be more, but I'm not experiencing it. It's that hope that maybe this next thing will fill this hole that I'm experiencing, this next, you know, hobby, this next vacation, you know, this next job, this next paycheck. If I could just win the lottery, if I could just drive this car, if I could just live in this house, if I could just have this much in the bank, if I could just have this kind of job, if I just didn't have to work with these kinds of people, if I just didn't have to do this kind of stuff, if I didn't have to go home and clean the house or do laundry, if I just didn't have to do this stuff or if I got to do better stuff, then this deep longing within me that says, I'm not experiencing a good life, it just gets worse. It doesn't get better. And what your shadow mission does is it promises you to fill that hole with things that disappoint. And it just keeps that longing going on and on and on and on and on. Your mission is not so much about pleasing God by doing what he wants you to do because scripture tells us that never works. It's never about doing what we think God wants us to do about walking with him and experiencing him even when it's not pleasurable or comfortable and even when i don't feel like i'm doing anything that is pleasing to him so what i want to do is move in a little different direction today we've talked a lot about mission and shadow mission and and i think we've covered that pretty well what we've been experiencing on Wednesday nights in one of our small groups, we're doing an experiencing God group. We've had some great discussions lately just about the fact that sometimes when we study about following God, it doesn't actually lead to inspiration or encouragement. It leads to shame and guilt. Have you ever been in a Bible study and they just tell you what life is supposed to be like as a Christian and you just feel like you're an utter failure? I often feel that way. I will read some of this stuff, or I'll read these prolific writers, or I'll read these you know, great 
Christians, and they'll say, you know, my life is just great, and everything's just going great, and I'm just walking with Jesus every minute of every day, and, and nothing bothers me anymore, and I'm not worried about anything, and, I'm just, and, I just, and, and I don't read that thinking, yes, that's what I want. I read that thinking, I'm a terrible Christian because I still worry about stuff. And when we talk about stuff like shadow mission, it occurred to me that it's very easy when we try to raise the bar on the experience of a follower of Jesus, it's very easy to respond to that in one of two ways. One certainly is, that's what I want. But the other is, that's not what I have, and it's my fault. And I'm less because of it. And so what I want to share with you is this deep dissatisfaction that you and I are going to struggle with our entire lives until we find the thing that will fill us and make us satisfied. And I do believe, again, that goes back to the Holy Spirit. There is a never-ending plague, I believe, for all of humanity. And even in the book Shadow Mission by John Ortberg, even though we're deviating we've deviated quite a bit from it throughout this series one of the things that he says is that the greatest shadow mission that any person will experience the number one shadow mission you will be tempted with the number one thing that is going to make you want to move off of what god wants for you and from you is the desire for more it is embracing the idea that dissatisfaction is good and that I should never be satisfied. I just need more. It's not enough for what I have. I need one more. I don't make a big enough paycheck. I just need more. My house isn't big enough. I need more. Or I don't have this or that. I just need more. My, my family is just not as good as some other family. So I just need my family to be more. My church just isn't meeting my needs. I just need it to be more. And this idea of more is killing people. It's killing and polluting their souls. And it is pushing them to places that they need not go, only leading them not to satisfaction, but to more dissatisfaction. Because the more you get, the more you often realize you don't have. More leads to addiction, more leads to depression. More is the reason that I can sit down in front of a TV and just watch, never ending. One of the unique opportunities I have is in having a marketing business, I get to work with lots of different businesses. And because we're small, it's, when I say we, I say we, but it's me. And I, it's, that makes me very flexible, at least within what I think is flexible. I have the opportunity to kind of choose who I do and don't work with. And I have found that in marketing, there is a very insidious nature of marketing, and it is very much tied into this idea that you should not be satisfied. You need more. Now, buy my thing, and my more will make you satisfied. But it doesn't. It doesn't satisfy Stuff cannot satisfy what is this deep longing that is within us. We were up in Michigan um, oh, a few weeks ago uh, 
Jake was doing some a track meet up there, and so we went up as a family just to make it a trip and have fun. And we were in the hotel room, and we had the TV on, and we were watching. I, I don't know what we were watching, um, but a commercial came on, and I found that commercial, and I wanted to show it to you. And uh, it's from a credit union trying to get you to get a loan. I want you to watch this commercial, and I want you to try to figure, maybe for me, what exactly they're saying is going to bring satisfaction to you by using their services. Let's, let's watch this first commercial. We need more coffee. So you need to, so here are the messages when I saw that commercial that I, I got. Number one is you're working towards your dreams. What are those dreams? Do you ever, are you ever going to reach those dreams? Is the credit union going to help you reach those dreams? I imagine they think they can help you reach those dreams if you'll just take out a home equity loan or a business line of credit so that you can grow your business to get, so you can work hard. But where are you going to go? Where are you going to get? The, the message and that commercial is, keep working harder so you can get more. So you can eventually achieve and be happy because you're not right now. So right now, just work hard and it will take a while. Another commercial I saw lately I wanted to show you. You've probably seen it yourselves. Watch this one. So, I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that, does it, right? So all of these great things are out there just to show you, you don't have them. You need more. You need more. And it's easy to say, you know, our modern marketing is just so corrupt. And all it does is seek to put money out of your pocket into someone else because you're not going to fulfill your dreams. You're going to fulfill theirs. But the truth is this has been around a long time. When I was a kid, some of you, this will date you, remember this little marketing gem, the pet rock. <laughs> Does anybody remember the pet rock? When I was in school, you were not cool if you did not have a pet rock. Now, truth is, you could go out into the yard and get a million pet rocks for free. But Doll, the company Doll, decided to put it in a box with a little how to take care of your rock because it's been a lot. It's been a lot. <laughs> but see, it even works on me still because it's been, it's been in existence for what scientists tell us millions of years and it, without you. But you need a book to tell you how to care for your pet rock. A few wood shavings. Do you know how many of these pet rocks they sold back in the 70s? Somebody can throw out a number. How many? Well, not that many. That's... One and a half million of these they sold for $4 each. Six million dollars were spent on pet rocks that before this little marketing gym, you could go out into your backyard and have probably a bigger, better rock 
for free. But you don't get the snazzy box or the wood or the book on how to care for your rock, right? Because that is the more. And I remember, you know, you, some of my friends, my, my parents didn't buy, my parents were immune to these kinds of marketing ploys. They didn't buy me stuff like that. I remember when I was a kid, we would go buy, and you know, today you can buy a whole horde of toys at the dollar store, but when I was a kid, we didn't have dollar stores, and so you would find these little trinket toys, or, you know, then McDonald's introduced the Happy Meal, which is one of the greatest marketing ploys of all food, dumb ever, but I would think, well, they just buy me this thing. And for me, it was always stuff like Silly Putty or a whoopee cushion. You know, they wouldn't let me have that. But, you know, with a little boy, that's the best thing in the world. Or the little man on the little parachute that after you threw him up one time, it would rip the parachute and it would never work again. So I'd have a box full of these little plastic men with their arms up but no parachute to hold on to, right? <laughs> and I would just think, when I get older and when I get a job... I'm going to buy as much of this stuff as I want. I may be 50 years old, but I will have a house full of parachute men. Well, I don't have a house full of parachute men. I do still think they're cool, but I don't have a house full of those. But it was always this sense of more. And so we would, some of my friends and I, whose parents wouldn't buy into it, we would bring a rock to school or something, but we didn't have the box that it came in. And so it just made us feel less than our rocks weren't as good as the other people's rocks. It's really an incredible thing what happens. You see, there, this dissatisfaction within us, we will seek to fill with lots of different things. If you don't try to fill it with stuff, if you don't try to fill it with someone else giving you approval, if you don't try to fill this dissatisfaction with the ability to say, I'm better than someone else because I have this, this, or this instead of them, then you're going to fill it with something else. You will have something. And given enough time, you may already know what that is. Given enough time, you will figure out what you're trying to fill this hole of dissatisfaction in your life with. And consistently, Jesus has said there's only one thing that will fill you, and that is me. But the world is trying to tell us that there's all kinds of things that can fill us up. But they don't. I think it's soft drinks are a, an interesting creation. You know, soft drinks, they're so addictive, even though they don't, they don't technically have anything addictive in them. But if you will read up on soft drinks, what you will find is that soft drinks don't actually quench your thirst. They make you thirsty, which is a great marketing scheme because I'm selling you a drink that just makes you need more to drink, which is actually what alcohol does as well. It just makes you want more. And soft drinks, what's so interesting about caffeinated soft drinks is caffeine doesn't just give you some kind of a stimulant to wake you up. Caffeine makes you go to the bathroom which makes you get dehydrated more quickly, which means that you need to do what? Drink more Coke. Now, when I was in college, they, we had a sink with running free water coming out of it because in our, in our apartment, we didn't have to pay for water. So water was free. But do you think I ever drank a glass of water in college? I did not. I mean, if, the Coke, if there was no Coke in the fridge, life was about to end. The world was almost over. I needed to go get Coke. And interestingly enough, if you lived through the new Coke debacle of the late 80s, early 90s, whenever that happened, there's a, 
there's a theory going around, and, and you know, here, I, we love conspiracy theories. There's a theory going around that Coke never intended to sell new Coke, but instead all soft drink sales were in decline, and so they wanted to reemphasize the value of their Coca-Cola brand, and so they came out with an inferior product so that consumers would demand the old Coke back, which caused Coke sales to rise when, it, when they did it. Isn't that crazy? Oh, there's tons of this stuff out there. Marketing geniuses, that's why they make so much money. It's incredible. Interesting. Well, we can't get into all of them because i got a bunch of them. But if you really want to go see where we began to say what you need is sugar-free, sugar is the enemy, just go back and study when that became the norm in food industry, that sugar was the enemy. And anyways, we'll get into that another time. There are all kinds of things in the world that are telling us that they will feel this dissatisfaction in us. You know what that dissatisfaction feels like. Yours may be different than mine, but you know what it feels like to just be there thinking, this is just not enough. John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You shall be satisfied. Psalm 1611, you make known to me the path of life in your presence. There is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Incredible picture of satisfaction. John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Just constantly flowing rivers of living water. He said this about the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. He's saying that you will be satisfied by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And by that filling, you will have rivers of living water flowing forever out of you. Images of satisfaction, and yet we live in a world that is wholly dissatisfied. And in some things, you don't even know how to bring someone to a place where they finally are. So I want to ask the question, and I want to spend the rest of our time here this morning. What if you are not experiencing a life on mission in the fullness in which Jesus says we're going to experience? What if you feel that you may be on a shadow mission, or maybe you've never, ever been on mission with him, but instead you just kind of feel like you're out here wandering in no man's land? What if you're not experiencing this wonderful, great, full life that you have living water flowing out of you? What if that is not your experience What do we do with that? So as we do this, I wanted to read a few things from Romans. We're going to be in Romans 7 and 8 for the next few minutes. When we begin to understand how far God wants us to go, we can respond either with anxious anticipation or with shame that we don't measure up. And that's how studies like Shadow Mission can go. We can either say, yes, that's what I want. I want to believe this is true. And I want to, what do I do to experience this? Or or how do I pray? Or or how do I give up on my own Shadow Mission to be with him? We can either do that with anxious anticipation or just be, just feel shame and guilt. Because, you know, that's just not me. I'm just, I'm just not that person. And I really don't know that I ever will be. How do we, how do we change that? Romans chapter 8, verse 1, when we begin thinking about this, And I'm again thinking a lot about shame and guilt when we don't feel like we measure up. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Read that again. There are forever now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the interesting thing is, is you probably have heard that verse and you've said, yeah, okay, I don't really know what that means because I still think you could do things that are not good and God is not happy with me. But what does that mean? And in order to understand what Paul is saying to the church in Rome is you have to read the preceding, not just verses, but the preceding chapters. This is why context in Bible study is so crucial. We have so many proof texters that say, you know, I read that verse, there's no condemnation. So I'm going to go and I'm going to rob a bank because I want more. And I'm a Christian, so there's no condemnation. I can do that. That's not what Paul is saying. So we have to understand what Paul is saying when he says that there's no condemnation. We have to back up just a little bit. What Paul is beginning with in his time with, in, in writing this letter to the church in Rome is that he's trying to get them to understand many of them were those who had grown up in circles of Judaism. If you'll remember, this is the time of the dispersion. This is the time whenever the, many in the, of the Jews in Jerusalem were just cast out of Jerusalem, and so they have spread out through all of the area, and many are in Rome. And so he's writing to them who struggle with the difference between living in the Spirit and living by the law. Anytime you begin to feel shame and guilt in your relationship with Christ, you are moving from life in the Spirit to life in the law because there is no shame and guilt in the Spirit. There is only shame and guilt in the law. And so as he is saying in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but yet there are plenty of people that feel, still feel condemned. And so how do I move from feeling condemned to somewhere else? And I, I want to start with Romans chapter 5, and we don't have time to do three chapters today, so we're going to skip a little bit. We're going to start with Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. This is important to understand in Paul's argument. We, people were sinning before the law came in, but they didn't know it because they, the law is what showed them what sin was. So this was happening. It's, he's beginning his argument early on, way before Israel was even a nation talking about there was sin in the world before the law came. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Which has led some theologians to say, why in the world did God give us the law? If it didn't count us against us because we didn't have the law, why give us the law? Why, why do that? Why put us in this place of shame and guilt? Verse 14, yet, even though there was no condemnation... Because there was no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. There were still effects of sin within us. Even to those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. In other words, a foreshadowing of Jesus. But the free gift is not like the trespass. In other words, what Jesus is doing is not exactly um, like what Adam was doing. He wasn't just paying back what Adam was doing. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. This is important. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. 
For if we become of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. He's setting up there is a change with Jesus. This whole problem entered in with Adam, and through Adam we all struggle with the sin to be focused on ourselves. All sins, if we are honest, go back to, I want to do things my way. I don't want to do things God's way. And whenever we say that, I want to do things my way, I don't want to do things God's way, what we're saying is God and I, it's, it's a choice. And my way has as many equal merits as God's way, which is where judgment comes. Saying, just as Adam and Eve ate from the tree in the garden of the knowledge of good and evil, the temptation was, you will be like God. We've talked about this many, many times. You will be like God. That is the root of all sin. Money's not the root of all sin. We misread that passage all the time. Money's not the root of all sin. Wanting to be like God is the root of all sin. And that's why the search for more apart from Christ is so nefarious, because it tells us that we can be filled and satisfied and whole with something other than God. That's why it's so nefarious. It's why it disappoints. It's why, it's why it never happens. And so what Paul is setting up is there is a change because all the law did was really show us how bad our stuff really was and then invite condemnation on us. But Jesus changed that. But many of us are still living in that same mindset of condemnation, of shame, and of guilt. Verse 19, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. Not, that does not mean that the law came in so that you'll sin more. The law came in so you'll know how much you sin is really what he's trying to say here. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our God. This is another great passage that follows in, verse, in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the reason that he says this is because what they were doing in Rome and what we have a tendency to do when we talk like this, we have to be careful when we completely remove behavior from a discussion of faith. Because whenever we say it's all about behavior, then we become religious and we become focused on the law and we say that there is something more valuable than simply what the Holy Spirit's doing in us. That's a problem. But yet, what they were doing, and what we also have an equal opportunity to do, is to say, you know what? Because we have Jesus, there is no sin anymore. I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. I'm covered by the blood of Jesus. And so now my behavior doesn't matter at all. Anytime we divorce it completely from our faith, it creates a problem. But anytime that behavior becomes the primary thing we're concerned about, then it leads us to shame and guilt, and it leads us away from the truth of grace. And this is what Paul's addressing. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, do we just sin as much as we can so we can say, look how much God's forgiving me. God forgave me 15 times today. How many times did he forgive you today? Well, just five. Well, well, look at all the things you could have done, and he could have forgiven you more. Why won't you let him forgive you more? That's really what they're saying. It's crazy, isn't it? 
But that's what they were saying, and that's what we have a tendency to say ourselves. By no means, Paul says, how can we who died to sin still live in it? In other words, there's still effects of this in us. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in what? Say it. Newness of life. That sounds exciting. I want that. We will walk in what? That's better. I mean, let's act like it's a good thing, right? I know you're tired. Let's act like it's a good thing. Jesus is literally offering you a new life, something completely different from what you've experienced before. And yet when we do talk about things like shadow mission, it's very easy to say, gosh, I'm just not good at this. And that new life seems to lose its luster. And somehow I'm just not good. It just didn't work on me. Somehow I'm I'm just not pleasing to God. He just doesn't love me as much because I'm just not able to do as much for him. And once we begin to believe that, we will begin to decay within our soul. And it is not something that Jesus ever wanted for you. See, the law tells us that we sin and we will never be good enough. The point of the law was that we would get this. You see, if the law was good enough for some people, if some people could attain this kind of justification through the law, justification meaning you are made right in the eyes of God, if you were somehow able to achieve justification through the law, there would have been no need for Jesus to come. Much of the reason for the law was to show us there's no way we can do this on our own. The law tells you that we sin and we will never be good enough. And the reason that this happened for such a long period of time with the nation of Israel is because it took a long time for them to get that message. In fact, even over all of that time, many of them still rejected that message and are still trying as hard as they can to fulfill the law today. The law tells us that we sin will never be good enough. Christ releases us from the burden of the law so that we can walk in a new way. He releases us from that burden. Paul wants them to understand you're released from the burden of having to perform to get God's pleasure. You're released from the burden of having to do everything just right and never messing up in order to get God's favor. You're released from that. That's what Jesus wanted us to know. You are released from that. We jump ahead to verse 12. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. So in other words, don't just focus on, "Ah, I'm forgiven. It doesn't matter. But let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life. This is why we baptize. We don't baptize because that somehow seals it for you. That kind of gets you your reservation in heaven when you die. We baptize because it shows us that we are moving from death under the law in our sin to life with Christ through his death and burial and resurrection. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now, 
Here's what I want you to do. I want everybody to just say, sin has no dominion over me. Say that. Sin Sin has no dominion over me. Say it again. How many of you have never sinned since you came to know Christ? Well, Paul is messed up then, isn't he? See, this is the reason that we can't just read something like Romans 8.1 and say there's no condemnation for those who love Jesus. Because we miss the deeper, bigger meaning. What he's trying to get them to say is there is a change that happens in us. But that change does not lead us to sinlessness. But that change is more significant than that. Even to the point that even though you and I still struggle to live lives that are pleasing and holy before God apart from the Holy Spirit, sin no longer has dominion or control of us. God never expected you and I to get to a place where we did everything perfect in this life. Instead, what we find over and over again in Scripture teaching us that, you know what, it is in acknowledging our problems and our weaknesses that we are most open to experience the power of God in our lives. And so why would God remove the thing that leads to so much power in our lives? That's why humility is the vanishing principle of the church. Humility is not something we seek after. I, I like to tell people I'm way more humble than they are. It makes me feel good, and if they already have low self-esteem, they, it goes right over their head, and they, you know, they just feel bad about it. So, but anybody else realizes how terrible a comment it really is. Humility is so powerful because it says, I am not the most important person in the world, which was the temptation for original sin. Instead, it says, Someone else is more important than me. Whenever you come across someone who is falsely humble, which I regularly place myself in that camp, where I know I need to, I need to not respond this way, but yet within my heart I still struggle with this need for me to be valued. Maybe you all do too. But when someone's genuinely humble, they are such a pleasure to be around. They are a breath of fresh air because they come without anything other than genuineness to be with you. I know so many pastors that I would put in this camp, and I think, gosh, they would be such a better pastor here than me. But they're doing something else, so they're not available. You don't, you don't want to go ask. You don't want to go ask them. But I look at them, and you, can, you know the difference of someone who is just so genuinely humble And Scripture tells us that it is in our humility that the power of Christ is unleashed in us. But humility is one of the most painful things to receive because it requires us to deny that needling within our heart that says we are better than somebody else. Sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. How we live, it does matter but we are no longer dependent on that to please God. That was a weirdly worded sentence. We are no longer dependent on that to how, we, how to please God. We jump down to Romans 7, verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the what? Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code or the law. That's the law. So there's a, a change. There's a way of living in the Spirit versus a way of living in the law. You and I still struggle with living in the law. 
And the truth is, as we begin to digest what Paul is saying, is that you can live by the Holy Spirit with the help of the Holy Spirit through the power of the Holy Spirit instead of living by your own best efforts. If there really was one thing I want you to take away for the last two months of teaching that we've done, this is it. My best efforts are not good enough. I see that every day. My best efforts are not good enough. If you see that your best efforts are not good enough, congratulations. You are in a place where you can now experience the Holy Spirit and his power through your life so that we can live not just by my efforts, but we can live by God's Spirit in us. And yet we still struggle with this shame and this guilt. It's just incredible the hold it has on us. When we do this, when we live by the Holy Spirit, with the help of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we will be on mission. That's when it begins to happen. Because your mission is not like God said, okay, if you want into heaven, then this is what I'm going to need you to do. I'm going to need you to talk to 10 people a day. And you need to see who's going to heaven and who's going to hell. And ask them if they're going to heaven or going to hell. And if they say they're going to heaven, then you can go find somebody else. You really want those people to say they're going to hell. Now, I want you to hit 10 of those people today, and if you don't at least have a 10% conversion rate on these guys, then you're not in. You're not in. I remember whenever I was in uh, school, I was a bank teller, and I thought it was the greatest thing ever. The first time I saw a cart full of cash, I just thought, I'm going to take this and put it in my car, and I'm leaving right now. It was awesome. <laughs> I didn't do that, or at least I didn't do it under my current name and identification I'm using, but... But I left that industry because what, be, and, and what some of you, if you still work in that, have found is that now you can't just take care of the customers. Now you've got to sell new products all the time. You've got to have a conversion rate. You know, you're not good enough if you took care of the customer. Now you've got to sell them 10% more debt on their home equity because they don't have any anyways. And they can go buy something that they don't need because I will give them the more to fill that hole that they're filling. You know, that's how that works. God didn't say, I've got a conversion rate for you to be good enough. He says, I want you to live by my spirit. When you live by my spirit, we are going to work together and change the world because you will be a witness for me. And I'm going to do the work in the world, but I need you to go out and tell people about it. I mean, whenever we're living by the Spirit, we are on mission with Him. Now, your mission may not look as grandiose as someone else's. It may not. And for us who like to look at those who seem to be successful in their faith and in their ministry, it can be discouraging to see someone doing it a lot better than we are. But that is still not what Jesus called you to. And what we're going to find in these next few weeks, some of those... Measures of success are not given by God. They are given by man, and they have destroyed the ministry of the church in many places. Because God has not asked you to be a superstar. Jesus was the superstar. He has said, walk with me, follow me, and let me do a new thing in you. That's what I want. I don't need you to be another Jesus. Jesus was enough. I want you to walk with me and know me and experience my love for you and experience my power in you and experience what it's like, what I intended for you from the beginning. Experience that now and experience it even better in the time to come. We got to wrap up. I got two more hours here. I got, I got a lot of stuff I can talk about today.
I told Wayne, I said, Wayne, I think we're going to be through early today. He said, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um, Romans 8, 1. There's therefore, now we're back to where we started. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. You could not do it. Lost my, oh, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. That is very different from, did you bring your Bible today? Did you attend church today? Did you go to Sunday school today? Did you bring your tithe today? Did you read your Bible five times, six times, seven times? Wow, this week. Did you do that? But instead, that is not what he's asking you to do, is to fill up your to-do list. Because you could not do it. He's not asking you to take your flesh and just do it better. He's saying you can't do it in your flesh. Instead, do it by the Spirit. And when you do that, that is setting your mind Not on the flesh, but setting your mind on the spirit. So my motivation changes. It's not that I have to do this to please God. I do this because I'm walking with God and this is good and I see the effects of sin. And so I'm setting my mind on the things that are of the spirit. Because those are the things that satisfy. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, which is, a, is a, an incredibly important verse for those of us who came up in traditions that have a, a, a avoided teaching the Holy Spirit. I mean, this phrase right here tells us that if this is, the Holy Spirit's not active in us, we don't know Christ. It doesn't matter what we believe about him. If the Holy Spirit's not active in us, we don't know Christ. That is, that is, that is damning for me and for the way that I grew up. Not focusing on this thing that is the, the whole life of what it means to know Christ. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin... Your current state right now, no matter how much you love Jesus, your body is dead because of sin. Jesus doesn't change that in this life. He changes that in the next one. In this life, this is still every one of our state of, state of being. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Your life comes through the Spirit, not your hard work. I just find that when, my, when my, I'm in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing, my efforts are amplified much more than I can ever do on my own. So here's what I, here's what I want you to take away from this, all this that I'm, I'm dumping, because... And I, quite honestly, I, I cut a whole bunch out <laughs> for your benefit. But 
Go back and read Romans 1 through 9, maybe. Go back and, and take some time reading that and, and just kind of let it wash over you and just see what God wants to reveal to you through this. But these are the four things that I want you to take from Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Number one, you will either set your mind on things of the flesh or the spirit. One or the other. It's going it's to happen. And if you're like me, you're, you know, it's kind of like watch a tennis match sometimes. Um, sometimes I'm in the flesh, sometimes I'm in the spirit. It's, it's, it's a struggle still, but that's part of growing. One of the things we keep talking about on Wednesday nights is justification is that act that we are made right before God's eye. Sanctification is the process of growing and maturing that never ends. So as I grow and mature, I become more aligned with the Spirit than I was in the beginning. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit hasn't changed me or made me new. It means that I'm, I'm growing, I'm maturing, I'm going farther, I'm becoming more sanctified. Number two, you will have life and peace. If what Paul is saying is true, you will have life and peace if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Those, that thirst, that hunger, that dissatisfaction can be filled. Number three, you can live by the Spirit even if you fall short in your struggle with sin. Let me say that again. You can live by the Spirit even if you fall short in your struggle with sin. That does not mean that I give up on my struggle with sin, but it means that God has not given up on me because of it. You keep going. You keep moving. You can live by the Spirit even if you still fall short in your struggle with sin because that is still our flesh, and the Spirit is something completely different. Number four, Jesus overcame sin, guilt, and shame on the cross for you. He does not intend to give it back. And yet we live in this daily. Whenever you begin to feel guilt, I don't mean you ate a donut and you shouldn't have eaten a donut because you're on a diet. I don't mean that. Okay? But if you begin to feel guilt, you have to stop and say, where is this coming from? What's going on here? And recognize that this is not from God. Okay? This is not from God. Jesus overcame that on the cross for you. He has no intention of giving it back to you. So, what do we do with all this? I've dumped a bunch of stuff on you. What are we going to do with all this? This is what I firmly believe. I don't always believe it in my heart as much as I believe it in my head because I, when, we, when you are open and reflective on your own failings, you you will struggle with this. There is no good Christian or bad Christian. Now, there are a lot of people that will tell you who the good Christians are and who the bad Christians are. There are no good Christians or bad Christians. There are only those who live by the Spirit and those who don't. Let that sink in. This is what Paul, I'm taking this from Paul. This is not, this is not you know, Mark. 3-2, although there is a Mark 3-2, not say Mark. <laughs> there is no good Christian or bad Christian, only those who live by the Spirit and those who don't. And so my prayer for myself and for my family, my prayer for our church, for our community, as we come together on Friday night to pray with other churches, my prayer is that we will experience the work of the Spirit in us like we have never experienced before. We will walk in peace and wholeness. And then even if pleasure wanes, even if we have to deal with 
heartbreaking things or pain within our lives, even if we do have to deal with persecution, or what we'll find as we begin to study the Protestant Reformation, even if it ever returns to that scale where our lives are asked of us, we do not have to fear. We do not have to feel shame and guilt, and we do not have to be dissatisfied. We can be whole and full even in spite of those things. You are going to be tempted And at times, the temptation is going to win to alter God's mission in your life. But you can always adjust. In the church, next next week we're going to begin the series Protestant. In the church, we have experienced this time and time again in the short 2,000 years of its existence. We have experienced time and time again of the mission being altered for someone else's benefit. If you're not familiar with the Reformation, I'm going to be sharing several, several of the Reformers with you, but we're also going to be backing up because I believe the story begins way back in the very beginning. I've mentioned some of this to you before. But at this time, I mean, you had some incredibly brutal things the church was doing to people to maintain control of them. People who were giving up their lives, husbands and wives that were killed in front of each other, children who were stripped from their arms and drowned because they didn't agree with the church. This is not what Jesus intended. We don't do that today. But is it possible that the church at times embarks on a shadow mission outside of what God wanted for them? I believe the answer is absolutely yes, because I know I still do it in my life. I hope you'll come back. It's going to be, if you, if you love history, you're going to love it. If you hate history, you're going to love it. So come back anyways. Um, and we're going to be relying on Scripture still as our guide because what we want to do is not go through and analyze and tear down how other people have failed. What we want to do is see where God wants us today. I'm going to leave you with these last two thoughts. I, you may already have the thing you're going to leave with today, but if you don't, walk out with these. God loves you, and he called you to a world-changing mission. He loves you. He wants you to be with him, to walk with him. He wants to do something in you and around you. He wants to do something in the lives of people that you're going to come in contact with that you don't even know yet. God wants to do that through you. God loves you and has called you to a world-changing mission. And I would just ask you, if you are a person who is struggling with, am I I on a shadow mission? Am I on a mission with God? You know, I I don't feel like I'm fully satisfied. I'm still struggling with more or or whatever else. I'm still struggling with those things. But let me just ask you this. And if you cannot answer this question, you can pray and ask God this question. And ask him to work within your life. I've asked this already before. What, what is God doing in you right now that you must tell the world about? See, what I've discovered is I've been through a lot of evangelism programs. What I've discovered is most of them, all they, they may help people's belief and they may get people to come to your church. But when it comes to a person whose life has changed by God and the Holy Spirit... A lot of times it is not, you got to believe this, this, and this, but instead it is let me tell you what God is doing in my life. And it will be so contagious and infectious that people will want it. 
And once you get to that place, beliefs, that stuff, studying Scripture or doctrine or stuff, that stuff's the easy stuff. But some people, that's all they ever accept. Once you experience Christ, that changes everything. What is God doing right now in your life that you've got to tell somebody about? And if you can't answer that question, then I would not leave this room until I said to God, do something in my life that I can tell somebody about it. And he will do it. He may not do it in that moment. But if you will consistently pray for that, you will begin to tune your eyes to the things of what God wants to do, and you will experience something, something fantastic. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you gave your son. We still, I don't believe, fully understand how broken of a people we are. And yet you gave your son to us so that we didn't have to fulfill the law, but instead we could know you and you would send the Holy Spirit to live within our lives, empower us. Father, you said you would be the the great high priest, that we could come to you and that you would speak for us, you would speak to us. You, You have promised that in those days that we just feel like absolute failures and we don't even know how to pray that The Holy Spirit will pray for us and intercede for us in ways that we can't even possibly understand because you know our need and you desire for us to live lives that are satisfied in you. Father, as we struggle with this, I pray that you would give us freedom. I pray for those in this room that are struggling with some form of shame or guilt right now. God, you want to set them free. Lord, I pray that that would begin today. God, I thank you for what you're doing in my life. I thank you for the excitement that I have in knowing you and walking with you and learning more about you and just seeing your hand at work. Father, I thank you for those who are in this room that demonstrate that you're doing some incredible things in their lives and it's just evident in the way that they live and the way that they talk, the way that they walk and the people that they are investing into. I just thank you for what you're doing in their lives. I pray for those that are in this room today and they just feel like they're going through the motions, but they aren't experiencing something something supernatural from you. God, I pray that today you will begin to show them what you want to do in their life. Let them experience you in a way that is infectious, in a way that, that makes others want to know you. Let us as a church emulate what you want the church to be. Father, thank you for inviting us to be on mission with you. Help us to walk with you and not to accept anything else but what you are calling us to. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.